Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. singing was so good that you guys just couldn't stay home. You had to come, eh? <laughs> That's great. So, we've had so many good sermons here on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we could have carried on. Remember last time we were looking at Christ in His millennial kingdom. We could have carried on with the eternal state. We could have looked at the heavenly Jerusalem. We could have looked at Christ as the eternal king when the dwelling of, the dwelling of God is, has become the dwelling of man. But we've had a change in direction for today. And uh, I see we've got lots of kids uh, still in our congregation today. And today really is supposed to be a sermon that is more accessible for even our kids to listen to. So I trust that if you're a little kid, if you're sitting here and you're hearing me, and you're not too busy coloring in, you'll hear that there's a, a big story in the sermon today that I hope, I hope you, f- you find uh, entertaining at least and that the Lord will speak to you through this story today. Cool, man. So, so let's begin. We begin with a story, and this story, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you will know that this story is straight out of Pilgrim's Progress. And... We see Christian and Hopeful. Christian and Hopeful are two men, and they're walking along a journey. This is, these are their names, Christian and Hopeful. And their one job, their one job is to stay on this one road, and this one road is going to take them straight to the celestial city. It's going to take them to eternal glory. It's going to take them to the kingdom of their king. What have they got? They've got one job. They must walk on this one road. This road is straight. It just keeps going and going and going. But of course, at one point, this road begins to go uphill, and it becomes more and more difficult, and it's quite a rocky road. It's not always very smooth and uh, nice for skateboarding. It's, it can be pretty rocky and bumpy. So interestingly, Christian and Hopeful, they're busy walking along, and there's a wall next to there, or a fence next to there. You can see there's a picture that I put on there for you. There's a fence next to the road. And right next to this rocky, bumpy road that is making their feet sore, they see this beautiful meadow. And you know what the strange thing is? That right next to the fence, there's this nice, soft patch of lawn where they can walk. And if they look carefully, they they look at this nice soft patch of lawn and they can see that there's actually a bit of a pathway there. And it looks so nice. It looks beautiful for the feet. You know, if we we have to walk all the way up this hill on this rocky road, our feet are going to be really sore by the time we get to the top. So let's just hop over the fence. Even though the Lord told us not to go off this road, we'll, we'll just keep the road in view. And we'll walk here where it's soft. I mean, why not? So, they hop over the fence. And of course, all your kids should be saying, They hop over the fence, and they begin to walk where it's nice and soft. And they didn't even realize that as they walked and walked and walked along this path, this nice, soft, fluffy, grassy path, began to drift further and further and further away from the road that they were supposed to be on. But they kept saying to themselves, ah, we know where it is. We can just turn this way and hop over the fence again. But suddenly, it became dark. And this huge big thunderstorm broke, and they didn't know where to go. 
They couldn't see it was raining. And there was this other man walking with them, and this man's name was Vain Confidence. And he was saying, no, don't worry, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And in the dark, in the middle of that storm, that man, Mr. Vain Confidence, they just heard him, Christian and hopeful, just heard him scream, and he was gone. And he had fallen down a deep hole. So Christian and hopeful are standing there in the dark, in the rain, in the storm. They didn't know which direction to turn to go back to the past. And they realized if we move, if we walk here, we're going to fall into that hole. We don't know where that hole is. So the best thing to do is just to stop right here. So they stop there in the, in the night, in the middle of that storm, and they find this little uh, piece of ground that they hide behind, and they find some shelter. And they decide they're just going to sit there, they're going to huddle there for the night, and they're not going to move. And suddenly in the morning, they wake up. The sky's blue again, the storm is gone, and there's this huge big giant standing next to them, and he has a club in his hand. I don't know if any of you kids have ever seen a giant, but Christian and Hopeful are looking at this giant, and they're terrified because he's huge, and he looks like he wants to beat them with his club. This giant, his name is Despair. Giant Despair. You can imagine why they call him Giant Despair, because now Christian and Hopeful are beginning to feel sorry for themselves because they wandered away from the path and now they can't get back because the giant has caught them. Giant Despair, he takes them all the way to his castle, and his castle is called Doubting Castle. Oh, things are just getting worse and worse and worse. How did it start? They just hopped over the fence, and they were just going to make it a little bit easier, and now suddenly they're trapped in the dungeon of giant despair inside Doubting Castle. You know, giant despair, he had a wife, and giant despair's wife's name is distrust. Don't believe, don't believe, don't believe. You know, distrust had so much to do with the misery of Christian and hopeful in the dungeon. So giant despair deprives them of food and water in the dungeon. He tries to starve them. Can you believe that? Tries to starve Christian and hopeful in the dungeon. He clubs them in the morning. Comes in there into the dungeon with his club. And he says, yeah, you want to wander off the path onto my property. And he clubs them. Now they're lying on the floor and they're suffering. He goes back to his wife, giant despair, says, I can't believe it. These guys, you know, I locked them in the dungeon. I took away their food. I took away their water, but they still have hope. So his wife says, yeah, I'll tell you what you do. You take those three things for them. You take them some poison. You take them a knife and you take them some rope. And you tell them, you're never, never, never going to get out of this dungeon. So you might as well just kill yourself. You might as well choose the way that you're going to die and kill yourself because it's, it's over for you. You're never getting out of here. And of course, Christian and hopeful, even though they're feeling miserable, they, they don't want to kill themselves. Why? Because their Lord says, don't kill. And that means yourself as well. So the giant gets so angry when he's trying to cause these Christian and hopeful to kill themselves because of their despair, that he gets so angry and he has the seizure, he has a fit, and he falls down on the ground going, Aah. and Christian and hopeful were just sitting in their dungeon cell watching the giant and thinking, this is really weird, this big giant is having a seizure right in front of us. Eventually, when he recovers from his seizure, he goes back up to his wife and he says, I can't believe it. I gave them the knife, I gave them the poison, I gave them the rope, and I told them, just kill yourselves because there's no hope. And still, for some reason, they have hope. What is wrong with these people? They still have hope. They're in Doubting Castle. They're in the hands of giant despair, who's listening to the advice of his wife, distrust but they somehow they still have hope. So distrust, his wife says to giant despair, I tell you what you do tomorrow morning. 
even though they're aching and they're paining and they're weak from not having food, you take them outside in the yard, giant despair, and you show them the pile of bones from all the other prisoners that we've had in this dungeon who haven't survived and show them where they're going to end up if they don't kill themselves. And one, one of the reasons why distrust keeps telling her husband, giant despair, to do this is because she's afraid. And she's afraid that they have hope. Why is she afraid that they have hope? Because a person with hope cannot remain in despair, can they? So what I want to do with this story, we're going to just carry on with the story and we're going to see what happens in case you're wondering what happens next. If you're sitting here, don't, don't drift away, okay? If you're hearing this story, don't drift away. I'm going to tell you why the Christian and hopeful are falling into despair, why they're losing hope in this castle with time, in this dungeon with time. And there's two reasons why they eventually fall into despair in this castle. And the two reasons can be accounted for by one, they have secondary or um, circumstantial reasons for falling into despair. And then on the other side, they have primary or they have heart reasons for falling into despair. And if you're starting this year, I remember when I used to do ambulance work, I remember New Year, Christmas and New Year was the time when most people would commit suicide. It was a terrible time for a lot of people. And often at the beginning of a new year, people are living in despair. And if you are living in despair, if you are discouraged, then this is a new, it's a new beginning for you. And you will identify the fact that you probably have some of these secondary or circumstantial reasons for despair. And you probably have some of these primary or hot reasons for despair at the beginning of this new year. And I would like to help you to understand from John Bunyan's perspective, how to escape from that despair today, a starting point for you. So what are the secondary reasons? Why are Christian and hopeful feeling miserable inside of this dungeon? We begin with the first text here. Remember Job, when Job begins to suffer, Job says in chapter 30, verse 15 to 19, terrors overwhelm me. My, dig my dignity is driven away. As by the wind, my safety vanishes like a cloud, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, and gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God has become like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I'm reduced to dust and ashes. Well, think of another text where King David is suffering. He's in the middle of a war. 2 Samuel 22, 5-6, he says, The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And this is something of what Christian and hopeful are experiencing in this dungeon. There they sit trapped in the castle of giant despair, doubting castle, and there are physical reasons why they're feeling discouraged and in a state of despair. The first, of course, is darkness. Now, I know it's a little bit light in this hall. I've got a picture in the background there of, a, of two people sitting in a dungeon, but a lot disappears in daytime on this uh, screen, of course. But the first thing is darkness. They're thrown into this dungeon, and it is pitch black. They can't see anything. And I don't know about you, but I think, especially when you're a small person, and you sit in a very dark place all by yourself for a long time, you become, you become afraid, don't you? But also, when people are in darkness, of course, it's, it's also metaphorical of, I can't see what's going to happen in the future. I can't see anything around me. I'm disorientated and I'm confused. They didn't know what was going to happen next. All they can hear every day is this giant unlocking the gate and the gate swinging open. And he comes in there with his club and they oh no, oh no, the giant must be here again. And the darkness is very disorientating for them because they can't see any direction. They can't see any detail. Life is just uh, a mess, a confusing mess for them. The next thing that is discouraging them or driving them into despair is hunger and thirst. They don't have enough. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough clothes. And this dungeon is, is a bit dark. 
and damp. So they must be getting cold there as well. They don't have provision or they've lost provision. Another reason why they're feeling discouraged in that dungeon is the disgusting smell, as Bunyan describes it. I mean, I don't know who was in that dungeon before, and I don't think there are toilets in that dungeon, but there's a terrible smell. Very unpleasant physical condition, and it drives despair. Another reason why they're becoming discouraged in that dungeon is because there's no communication. They sit there, there's no WhatsApp, you can't, there's no Wi-Fi, you can't just Google something and find out you know, three ways to escape the castle of giant despair. You, know, you can't ask the giant, okay, what's your agenda? At what time are you going to beat us? You know, what time are you going to come check on us so we can make a plan to dig a hole out of here? There's no communication. They don't know what's going to happen next. And I don't know about you, but often... When I find there's no communication and I don't know what's going to happen next because no one said anything, I can feel discouraged. If you don't know where money's going to come from, you don't know whether you're going to get a job or not, you don't know what's going to happen in your life, you can get discouraged. You can fall into a state of despair. And Christian and hopeful, no communication. They didn't know what to expect. They begin to fall into a state of despair. And then, of course, there's the physical and the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse. This giant keeps coming in there with his club, and he keeps beating them. And isn't that what despair does? Not only does physical abuse, uh, physical and verbal abuse push you into a place where you become discouraged, but if you speak about it in allegory form, as a, as a metaphor like uh, John Bunyan did, if, if you are confronted with abuse the whole time, you begin to feel hopeless. You're sitting there in your dungeon and you don't know where to turn. Pain. Like Job speaking there about all of the pain that he suffers. Verse 17. Night pierces my bones and gnawing pains never rest. On and on and on. The pain. If it had an end it would be something. But pain doesn't tell you when it's going to check out does it? Another thing that discouraged them was physical disability, fatigue, and weakness. They haven't eaten. They've been clubbed. They're in pain. You can imagine on the last day when the giant's wife said to them, just drag them up to the roof of the castle, show them the bones of all of the people who've died in this dungeon before you. You can imagine how difficult it was for them to climb up the stairs, malnourished, hungry, thirsty, and their eyes have been in a dark dungeon, and suddenly they're in bright sunlight and they're probably like rats, you know, shielding their eyes because they can't see properly. So they're suffering from physical disability, fatigue and weakness. And that can discourage you, can't it? And then one of the final things, of course, you could list more. But one of the final things is that they've been given the means to kill themselves and over time, as they sit in that dungeon longer and longer, and the pain goes on and on, and the not knowing what's going to happen, and the fear of what might happen just goes on and on and on, and that option of suicide begins to look more and more attractive to them. Over time, what they thought would be wrong in the beginning suddenly becomes rational to them, and they start thinking, yeah, actually this is an option. Those were some of the circumstantial things. That's some of the, the pains, some of the misery that they were facing in that dungeon. It was a painful, painful place. Place of darkness where they didn't know what was going to happen next. And that was something that was eating them away. I'm sure you can identify with that. If you have been in a state of despair, one of the first things you will do is you'll point to circumstantial issues. You'll say, I don't have a car. Or I don't have enough money to put petrol in the tank. Or I don't have money for the taxi. Or I don't have clothes to wear to a place like this. Or my house roof is leaking and I don't have money to fix it and I don't know how to fix it. I wish I knew how to fix it. On and on and on, the needs and the needs and the needs just keep mounting up. And often in despair, that's where our focus is, isn't it? And that's definitely a part of it. Obviously, that's a part of it in Giant Despair's Castle. 
But now let's have a look, not only at those secondary or circumstantial reasons that these people causes, these people had for despair, but let's have a look at some of the primary reasons they had for despair. What are the real causes? Where does despair really come from? Where is it generated? What's the furnace in which real despair is generated? And the first reason, the first primary reason for their despair, I think, if you look back to the beginning of our story, is that everything was going fine when they stuck to the one job that they had. Stick on this path. Don't deviate from this path. Just keep going. Yes, this path is going to get more and more difficult, and sometimes it's going to be easier, but just stick on the path. Keep going faithfully in the Christian life. Keep going with your spiritual devotions. Keep being a person whose heart is stirred in worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going. Just keep going. This one job, stick on the path. And suddenly you have Christian and hopeful saying, this is actually quite hard. Our feet are getting sore. Let's just hop over the fence and walk there where it's soft on our feet. Nice. It's easier. I mean, it's almost the same direction. It's like, you know, virtually the same direction. But it's going to be much easier over there. And suddenly you realize, as they sit in the dungeon of Giant Despair's castle, and they look all the way back in their minds to the place where this misery began, it began with that simple decision. That one decision, that one sinful action, that snowballed and snowballed and snowballed and became such a big thing that they cannot believe that that one tiny little thing brought them into this horrible dungeon. And that can happen with you and me. To fail to deal properly with the first sin. I just want to say that often in counseling, very often, over decades, I find somebody's life in a mess and you can trace it to exactly the same thing. Somebody at some point in their lives, they did something that they knew was wrong and the consequences of that sin started complicating their lives. And instead of going back and say, please forgive me for doing this, they covered that with a lie, or they covered that with deception, or they covered that by uh, separating a relationship with somebody that they had a good friendship with before. And suddenly, you've messed up relationships with all of that person's friends, you've created gossip, you've created rumors, and, and these problems just get bigger and bigger and bigger, And you know how simple it would have been just to deal with that first sin in a biblical way. And this is one of the primary causes of despair, is when you fail to deal with the first departure in a biblical way. That results in a loss of confidence and direction. You know that when you're feeling guilty, when you've sinned and you haven't dealt with that sin properly... When you have sin on your conscience, it robs you of confidence. In fact, as pastors in this church, one excuse we often find why people don't want to serve in the church is because, no, I have to get my life right first before I serve in the church. And you say, no, you serve in the church and you carry on working on getting your life right. We're all doing that. We're all messed up in one or other way or multiple ways, aren't we? But despair comes not from committing the sin. Despair comes from mishandling that, from not dealing with that sin in a biblical way, allowing it to get out of control. And then, of course, despair feeds on silence, doesn't it? Isn't that what David said in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4? He said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Yes, Christian and hopeful in the dungeon. Isn't that exactly how they feel? They feel that the hand of God is heavy upon them. They feel that their strength is sapped. They feel that everything is coming to an end. They're groaning. They're moaning. Life is terrible there. With the psalmist, how did his despair begin? It began with one sin. And began with trying to fix that sin in the wrong way. And it spiraled out of control and it ended up in murder. And now even the death of his own child. One sin. 
that he didn't deal with in a biblical way. Seems crazy, doesn't it? That you can fall into a state like Christian and hopeful in this dungeon. Seems crazy that you can end up in a dungeon of despair in Doubting Castle, listening to giant despair and his wife distrust. And it all started just with dealing with the first sin in the wrong way. And you'll notice, I mean, I didn't say this, but right in the beginning when they jumped over and they got stuck in the storm and giant despair comes to them, he says to them, what are you doing on my land? In the book, in Pilgrim's Progress, they stand there like unable to even answer him. Like, I don't know. I don't know why we're on your land. We shouldn't even be here. I don't know what we're even doing here. And when you're in a state of despair, that's the answer all the time. I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know what I'm doing here. I shouldn't be here. This is not me. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the point where the divergence took place, where you, where you sinned and you dealt with your sin in the wrong way. Go back to those people that you've deceived. Go back to those people that you've lied to. Go back to those people that... You know, whose relationship with you you've severed. Go back and confess sins and be reconciled to those people. Go back and undo the damage that has been done through this first departure. I can't say that enough times because so much of what I deal with in counseling is a result of this very thing. Mishandling the first sin and then creating total havoc in your life. Despair feeds also, on minimizing your personal sin by comparing it to somebody else's sin. Like Christian, for example, he could say, yeah, it wasn't a big thing for me because he also jumped over with me, didn't he? Yeah, so it can't be that bad. Paul says that a person who compares himself to other people is not wise because there is a standard. Despair feeds on distrust. You sit there in the dungeon and you honestly don't believe that there's a way of escape. Here's Christian and Hopeful sitting in the darkness in the smelly dungeon. No communication, no food, they're being beaten. And the one thing that they don't do is take hope in the fact that they can escape. They, can, they will actually get out of here. If you're in a state of despair, you know that that's one of the lies you believe. You believe this will never end. I will never be free from this despair. I will never get out of this depression. These guys are fatigued, they're weak, they think, I can't even get up on my feet, never mind break out of this despair. And that's a sad, sad thing, isn't it? When I speak to people who are depressed, this is one thing they absolutely believe, that I'll never break out. This is, since I've become depressed, this is what the rest of my life is going to be like, so I might as well just tone everything down, I might as well slow down, I might as well withdraw, because I'm going to be struck with this for the rest of my life. Terrible. What a terrible thing, and I know I've been depressed myself, and I know I believed that when I was depressed. I honestly thought I would never escape. I would never get out of giant despair's dungeon. So despair feeds on minimizing personal sin by comparing it to other people's sin. Despair feeds on distrust. It believes that there's no hope of escape. You'll never get out. Despair feeds on endless thinking about the consequences of your sin to yourself and to other people. How many times have you heard people saying, I know, let's say you did something and there were terrible consequences to somebody else. The one lady that I've spoke about before who, who left her children in the shack and she left the heater on. And she went out to the spaza down the road to buy something and she came back and the flat had been burnt and her two children had died. And she went on and on and on in regret, thinking, I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I hadn't done that. And she lived, obviously, she lived her life in regret after that. But despair feeds on that. Despair feeds on... When somebody just goes around and round and round and round and round that same track again and again and again, thinking about the event, thinking about the details, thinking about how different it could have been. Despair loves that, absolutely loves that. And that's why when we do counseling in this church, 
If somebody is discouraged, we don't let people go round and round and round and round and tell their story again and again and again because just telling the story discourages them more. They, they really believe, or you believe, that you really, really do have reason. Every time you tell the story, it sounds worse. And you get more and more discouraged and more and more depressed. And you're in a state of despair in that dungeon and you honestly think that because of these circumstances I won't escape. But this is a primary reason. It's not the conditions that you're in. It's, it's a heart issue. I don't believe I will escape because the consequences that I've caused to myself and others are too great. I'll never get out of this. And then finally, in the primary causes, despair feeds on other people agreeing with you when you evaluate your reason for despair. You tell somebody, oh, this is terrible. And they say, yeah, it's terrible. And there's room for that. There's room for compassion. There's room for hearing somebody's story. And you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus, it is our responsibility as believers to listen well to other people's story. But... There has to be a point at which you can disagree with somebody about their despair. You need, to, you need to agree with somebody who's hungry that it is a terrible thing to be hungry if you know what it's like to be hungry. You need to be able to agree with somebody how terrible it is not to have enough resources. You need to be able to agree with somebody who's sick or who's in physical pain how terrible that is if you know what it's like to be in physical pain. But you cannot go into that cycle with that person around and round and round. And every time you pass go, you collect another 200 rands of despair. And you put it on and you just go down the tubes with that person lower and lower. There's got to be a point at which you stop and say, but hold on. This thing, you can break out of this by the grace of God. Even if circumstances never change, you can break out of despair in your own heart. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. True believers have true hope. True biblical hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man that brings such joy. That brings such relief. Sometimes. Some of you sitting here may have heard me say this. But sometimes when somebody tells me. How broken they are over a certain situation. I say that's great. That's a good place to be. And they're like what do you mean that's a good place to be. And I would rather be sitting with somebody who's in a good place. You know, who's broken over something that happened than somebody who's still defending themselves and still arguing and justifying themselves in their despair. And often when somebody comes in that state, it's wonderful. It's wonderful because God picks that person up at that point and causes them to shine. So, so here we've, we've placed ourselves through Christian and Hopeful's eyes in the dungeon of giant despair. They're suffering that misery. They're in a state of despair. They, their hope is fading. It's, it's trickling out through the cracks in the walls. They're in the darkness. They're in that misery, miserable circumstances. And we've seen that it's not just the circumstances that are impacting them, but there's th there are things happening in their hearts. They are believing things that are not true. They're believing they won't escape. They're believing that this is as bad as it is. They're believing that the reason why they fell into it is, is actually not such a big thing and it can't be such a simple solution. But now something begins to happen. Something begins to happen in this dungeon. And as Christian and Hopeful sit there in the darkness commiserating, talking about their misery, and they can hear the giant up and down his stairs all the time with his club coming into the dungeon to beat them, Christian begins to say to Hopeful, you know, Hopeful, this is really, really bad. Do you, do you realize, Hopeful, we're never going to get out of this? And Hopeful says, hold on, hold on. And Christian says, you know what, they brought us the poison and the knife and the rope. I think we should I think we should consider using that. And hopeful is like, hold on, Christian, what are you doing? What are you saying? We can't kill ourselves. We're not gonna kill ourselves because it seems like we've come to the end of the road. Remember Paul in Second Corinthians one when he's sitting there in that terrible, terrible situation where he says, We even despaired of life. Well, the Apostle Paul says, hey, it looks like we're not going to make it out of here. I think we're going to die here, saying to his friends. 
And Paul eventually said, well, the reason why that happened to him was so that it might be obvious that everything that happens to them after that is a work of God, not something that they did. And here Christian and Hopeful are sitting in this dungeon and Christian is beginning to wonder if he should take his own life. And Hopeful is saying, no, 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 don't do that. So what is the first thing that brings hope in Christian's experience as he's beginning to look, reading the label of the poison bottle while he's busy handling the knife and while he's busy fiddling with the knot on the rope and he's wondering which is the best way to end his own life, what is the thing that begins to turn this whole situation around? The thing that begins to turn this whole situation around is what hopeful does for him. And what hopeful does for him can be described in two words, two Greek words, and these words should be very familiar to us. I know a lot of Greek words don't mean anything to us in this church, especially the long ones. But these two words, we should all know them well because they're critical words and we all are responsible for performing these functions for each other. And the first word, of course, is the word nutheteo. I've written it over there. And parakaleo. You remember these two words? I've spoken about them how many times? Nutheteo is change through confrontation out of concern. When you see somebody in the church who's stepped over, he stepped off the path, he stepped onto a softer, more cushy route, and he's going his own way, like hopeful, looking at Christian and saying, we've veered off the path, here's the turning point. I want to see change through confrontation because I'm concerned for you. That's a thing that you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus are responsible to do for each other as believers in this church. That's what Hopeful does. He begins to take up that responsibility even though he's in the misery of that dungeon and he begins to confront Christian with his wrong, his sinful thinking because he's concerned about him. He's not smashing him. He's concerned about him and he begins to work toward change in Christian's life. And the other word, par akaleo, is the other word that we do for each other in this church. We come beside each other when somebody's struggling and they're carrying a heavy load. We come beside them and we help them to carry that burden. We help them by being with them, present with them, so they know there's somebody else there. And here's, here's hopeful, he's with Christian in the suffering. I'm with you. I'm suffering in the same way as you. But my friend, I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. And how many times does it discourage you? I mean, how many times does it encourage you when you are discouraged and you see somebody else who has hope? And you think, wow, doesn't this person's hope ever come to an end? Will nothing dampen this person's hope? That gives you hope, doesn't it? When you see somebody else who has true reasons for hope true biblical hope. Four good texts I could just read here for you quickly that show this action, in uh, this process in action. Romans 15, 14 is a really good text where Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct each other. The different form of the word, nuthetea. You're competent to come to each other and see change in that person's life because you're concerned about that person and you're going to directly speak to them about this thing. You're not going to just hope that it comes up in conversation one day. Galatians 6 verse 1 to 2, Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be, may be tempted. Verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So there you have going gently to restore a brother. And you also have this function of carrying a burden with a, with a brother with him. It's not all just like the Pharisees binding up this big load and say, this is what you must do, this is what you must do. Boom, smash it on the guy's back. And then you see him going, and he can't, can't walk anymore. No, there's a togetherness in this. And isn't there... Isn't this a beautiful picture of Hopeful and Christian in the dungeon together? And there's a togetherness. But Hopeful, even in those same circumstances, he's beginning to give hope to Christian in the dungeon. And even though they're in the dark, you can hear his voice and he's feeding him truth in the middle of Doubting Castle. 
He's telling him things that are true. Even though distrust is pushing her agenda through giant despair, he's telling Christian truth, telling Christian truth while lies are coming to him from all directions and even from his own heart. So Hopeful argues that a tiny little bit of true biblical hope is going to take us a long way, my friend. Just begin on this journey. Just believe that it is possible by the grace of God that you're going to escape from this despair. A possibility is going to come. It doesn't mean that because no possibility has arisen right now that no possibility has, is going to arise. Hopeful begins to remind Christian that despair is not almighty. Despair is not as powerful as God is. And here we sit in giant despair's castle, but we have a God who is far greater than our despair. He gives us greater reasons to live with hope than giant despair gives us reason to live in despair. An opportunity, Hopeful is absolutely convinced, is going to come. And he absolutely believes that God himself will provide an opportunity of escape. And Hopeful keeps telling Christian, just be patient, just be patient. I know we didn't find a way of escape today, but just be patient, Christian. Live with hope, and a way of escape is going to come. You know that sometimes when people suffer from deep depression, that it can last a long time. And in that case, we're not saying that the Word of God is not powerful enough to break into a person's life who is depressed. We're saying that sometimes it takes time for heart change to, to take place in a person's heart. Sometimes you, you've got to make little step after little step after little step. And we can see this with Christian and Hopeful. Hopeful begins to speak. And he doesn't see an immediate change in his friend, but he speaks more. And he speaks more and he just keeps giving more and more hope. He feeds light, the light of hope, into the dark heart of his friend as he suffers there. Hopeful tells his friend Christian some more. And he says, my friend, remember. Remember all of the joys you've had in the past as a Christian. Remember that time when your burden fell off and you felt free before the cross of Christ. Remember the time when you fought Apollyon the dragon and you won. You thought you were going to die in front of that dragon. But God rescued you. God gave you the power to see that through. And if you know Pilgrim's Progress, there are many examples of success that Christian enjoyed along the way. Hopeful also tells Christian to realize, you know what you've done, my friend? You've actually practically removed God out of your thinking in this situation. You're looking at the hunger and the thirst the pain and the suffering, the misery, the smell, the darkness, the lack of communication. You, you've looked at all of that and, you've, and suddenly you've thought that God doesn't exist anymore. God is not actually a practical solution to this problem. Trust God, trust God, trust God. Christians almost like, yeah, whatever, I'm busy suffering, don't tell me about that. How many times does it happen when somebody's depressed and they take that same attitude? Yeah, I know God and the Bible and prayer and all that, but, but I'm, this is real suffering, okay? I'm really suffering. Don't bring me that stuff. Don't read me a psalm while I'm suffering. But hopefully saying, Christian, remember. Remember what it was like when you trusted God fully with everything. And now suddenly that you're suffering, you've actually thrown God out of your thinking and God doesn't really have anything to do with your suffering anymore. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. See that beautiful picture of the psalmist asking the question. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And often in discouragement, in depression and despair, that's the last thing people want to do because they don't believe it is going to work. I've read my Bible so many I know I know this chapter. I mean, how many times must I read this chapter? It's not working. But how difficult it is to get a depressed person just to look up at God and honestly trust God to draw them through this experience. That's what Hopeful does for Christian. Hopeful points out to Christian as well is, do you realize, my friend, what we've forgotten to do? 
There's one big thing we've forgotten to do here. We haven't even prayed. We hopped over the fence. We walked on the cushy path. We ended up getting arrested by the giant. We thrown into the dungeon of this giant. And here we are suffering. We're calling out for mercy, begging the giant for mercy. I mean, a giant, he's not going to show them mercy, is he? We haven't even spoken to God. We haven't even prayed this whole time. And he, and he says to him, hey man, you know what that looks like? Looks like the fool or the wicked man in Psalm 14 verses 1 and 4. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Verse 4 says, will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread and those who do not call upon the Lord. It's the fool, the evildoer, who does that. He just keeps going and he never even calls out to the Lord. He lives as if God doesn't exist. That's what hopeful is reminding Christian. Hopeful reminds Christian of other things. And he says, do you realize that we have actually failed to trust the promises of God in our despair? We've, you know, we know them intellectually, but we honestly haven't come to the point where we've gone over the promises of God and we've said, I believe this is true. I honestly embrace this as my very own. Hopeful tells Christian as well, do you realize that you failed to embrace God's sovereignty in this? That when God brings his people into suffering, God always has a purpose. And that's where good Christian theology trumps all of psychology in the world. And we honestly believe that there's a person behind our suffering, the great sovereign God, and that great sovereign God has a purpose for every one of us and every day that we've suffered in this life. Just because we can't see a purpose immediately and we can't work it out in our brains doesn't mean there's no purpose. Of course not. And Christian and hopeful, as they sit in that dungeon, they've forgotten that God has a purpose for the suffering in their lives. Think of those great verses in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know this is a fact. As you're sitting in the dungeon of despair, there's something that you do know as a fact. What is this that you do know? Suffering does produce perseverance. For a true believer, suffering cannot fail to produce perseverance in your life. God says this is a fact. It's an indicative. Suffering does produce perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And here's hopeful, reminding Christian of this. This purpose, this purpose, this purpose. Conduct yourself like a man of God in this situation. And you just, you've achieved the goal for which God allowed us to fall into the suffering. Of course, it's not God's fault that they sinned. They sinned by their own volition. But now that they're suffering, God is using this for a purpose. For his own purpose. And hopeful finally reminds Christian that he has actually disregarded other Christians as a source of encouragement during this time. He's not, Christian has been trying to brush off Hopeful's um, good counsel all this time in the prison. And he's like, no, I think, no, Hopeful, let me tell you, the way out of here is to kill ourselves. It's the way out. No, don't tell me about hope, hope, hope. We, get, we must kill ourselves now. And he's not listening. He's not listening to the counsel of Hopeful, but as Hopeful begins to speak to him, and as he goes on and on and on bringing true biblical hope to him, things begin to happen in Christian's heart. Things begin to happen. The light starts shining again. He begins to feel this little spark, this little prickling of hope, beginning to well up inside of him, little like fairy lights at first, and eventually floodlights coming on one after the other. And he begins to feel a sense of hope. So here they are, trapped in the dungeon of giant, giant despair, in Doubting Castle, with distrust, telling him, don't believe, don't believe, don't believe, don't have hope, don't, have, don't even think that you can have hope in this situation. And Hopeful is beginning to light the fires of hope inside of Christian. And as they sit there in the dungeon, 
Christian begins to pray. Man, what a moment. Remember Saul on the road to Damascus? He's going up there to persecute Christians. On the way, the risen Christ comes along and smacks him off his horse. And he's lying on the ground, say there, lying on the ground, saying, "Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord?" And he goes blind, and he ends up on Straight Street in Damascus, blind. You know, maybe maybe the Christians are all going to gather around him and capture him now. I mean, who knows what's going on in his mind? And suddenly Ananias comes along, but the Lord sent Ananias. Why? He says, "Go to this guy." Why? Because. He's praying. He's there in the darkness. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Doesn't know where he's going to go. He's seen the risen Christ. Absolutely terrifying. And now he's sitting here and he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And just like Christian in the dungeon of giant despair, he honestly begins to pray for the first time in this despair, in this calamity. And you know what happens? Suddenly, as he begins to pray... He says, "You know, I can't believe what a fool I've been all of this time." And he starts patting on his chest here, and he says, "In my pocket, I have a key, and the key is the key of promise." I don't know if any kids are listening, but I'm talking about a key at this point. And here's here's Christian in this jail cell, and the whole time he's had the key. To the the dungeon gate inside of his pocket, and you think, ah, oh, this is crazy. How can this possibly be? Well, this is the key of promise. What an amazing reality! Exactly what hopeful has been telling him the whole time. We're going to escape. We're going to escape. We're going to escape. And now suddenly they stare at each other in the darkness. You know, like wow. Dude, you've had the key in your pocket the whole time. You could have like, could have checked your pockets earlier on, before we got beaten. And the promises of God give hope. They give wonderful hope because if God says something's going to happen, that thing will definitely happen, won't it? Look at Second Peter one verse three to four, where Peter says His divine power. Has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So God has provided everything we need. How did all of this come to us? How do we have all of the stuff that we need, everything that we need for life and godliness? Verse four says, "Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises." Promises. His very great and precious promises, so that through them, these promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wonder, wonder who noticed that word in the end there? Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So here, John Bunyan is painting this Christian in the cell. He has the key of promise. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. With this key, we can break out of despair. We can break out of this dungeon that has made us believe that we're never going to get out. We can actually go back all the way to where we began, where we went off the path. We have hope. We can go back. We can see the journey is clear now. And as he begins to pray. Hope begins to to mount up in his heart, and he begins to believe texts like First Corinthians ten thirteen that says, "No temptation has seized you except what is common to man." And God is faithful; He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. They're inside of the state of despair. They're prisoners of giant despair, and they can stand up under the pressure of this despair. They can stand up. They can live. They can flourish even under the the captivity that they find themselves in here. 
Psalm 52 verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. You're like, wow, what a promise. That means that I'm in despair. He will never let me fall. Therefore, I'm going to cast my cares on Him. God, this is too heavy for me to endure. This is a difficult burden. I'm suffering here. Please, Lord, take this burden from me. Take the heaviness of this from me. Thank you, Lord, that you're carrying this burden for me and you're allowing me to walk free. 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9 He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it it encouraging that in the state of despair, there's this moment of change. There's this moment of change for Christian when he's been feeling hopeless. And suddenly the spark of reality dawns upon him. I can speak to God. I can believe the promises of God. And the promises of God are packed with so many things that these promises provide a key for me that I can actually walk out of this dungeon right now. And they begin to speak to God. They begin to call out upon God. And they begin to pray. Psalm 50 verse 15, God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. What a promise. There they are in the dungeon. Lord says, call on me, I'll deliver you. And they're like, oh, it's never going to work. I've prayed before, it never worked. Yeah, why, why even bother praying? God says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. And this is what they do. They begin to call out on God. And they begin to pray at midnight in the cell, in the darkness. There they are praying and praying and praying to God. When he discovers this key in his pocket. Psalm 77 verses 1 and 2. The whole psalm is about physical suffering and and anguish in the heart. And verse 1 says, I cried out to God for help. I cried to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. That's what Christian and Hopeful are doing. They're calling out to God. They're in distress. They're crying out to Him for help. God, please help me. And God hears them. God hears their confession of sin. God forgives their sin. God gives them hope that they can flourish again. So does the key work? Or doesn't it? See, I've lost half my kids' audience already. (laughs) But does the key work? What if the key doesn't work? Well... Christian takes the key in his hand and he walks toward the gate in the dark and he can suddenly feel the dungeon gate and he feels for the keyhole and he puts the key into the keyhole and he turns the key and the gate unlocks. And suddenly they're free and they grab the gate and they begin to pull it but the gate is so tight it takes a giant to open and close that gate so it's a, it's a heavy gate and it's rusty. And they pull and the gate begins to squawk and squeak. You can imagine it echoing down the castle halls, down the passageways and up the stairways. And the giant is sleeping in his bed and he hears the creaking of the the gate. And of course, when a Christian is beginning to break out of a state of despair, you can expect the giant to come flying down the stairs with his club in his hand. To try and catch you and to try and stuff you back into the prison. Of course, his wife is saying, don't let them have hope. Don't let them believe that they can escape. So the giant comes running down the stairs with his club and he's bellowing at the top of his voice. And Christian and Hopeful are squeaking that gate with all their might to try and get out in time. And they run down this passageway. At the end of the passageway, they find another gate and it's locked. And... Christian pushes the same key into that same gate at the end of the passageway and it opens the lock. 
And the same thing, they're busy squeaking the gate open because that gate hasn't been opened for a while. And they hear the giant running up behind them. And the giant is almost within reach of them. He's about to grab them. And funnily enough, as the giant sees the bright sunlight outside and he's so angry about Christian and Hopeful escaping from Doubting Castle, from the clutches of giant despair, from the advice of his wife, distrust, he goes into another seizure. And he's, poof, he falls down on the ground and Christian and Hopeful run in daylight. They run along that soft path. They run past the hole where vain confidence fell in. They run all the way along the rocky path and they find the place where they climbed over what a relief it doesn't matter how rocky this path is they are going to stick on this path for the rest of the journey the point here is that in order to dis- order to escape from giant despair's castle it does take some effort We don't just pray and then God does all of the escaping for us. Christian and Hopeful had to pull that gate open. They really had to work to get the gate open. They had to run. They had to open the second gate and pull it open. And they had to run to escape from the giant. And it does take effort in Christian discipline in order to fully escape from despair. You need to begin to do the things that you were failing to do at first. We need to begin to attack those mountains of washing that haven't been ironed. We need to attack all of those studies, the the deadlines, go and meet those deadlines, begin to study consistently on a daily basis. We need to cultivate relationships with people instead of just letting other relationships with other people self-maintain until there's trouble. We need to go back and deal with the offenses that we have committed. It takes effort to remain a joyful and hopeful Christian by depending on the promises of God. So they escaped. And of course, when they get back to the pathway, we come back to that little fence by the meadow, and you'll notice that they put up a sign on the side of the road to warn other Christians so that they they don't fall into the same trap as they did. This path might look beautiful, it might look easier, but don't do it. Let us warn you about what happened to us when we just took this soft, easy, gentle path. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Verse 8 says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome promise. And that is exactly what Christian and Hopeful are doing. So just in conclusion, I could say, like Christian and Hopeful, you can fall into this despair by failing to deal with personal sin properly, by minimizing your sin, by failing to trust God, by talking about your despair and its consequences all the time, by seeking other people out who will commiserate with you. You need to depend on hopeful and truthful Christian friends who will bring you back to God's promises, to prayer, and to personal discipline in godliness. Once you have escaped despair... You need to encourage other struggling Christians like Christian and Hopeful put up that sign to warn others, be careful. May God help us in this 2022 to stay out of the clutches of giant despair by our own folly. Let us continue to depend on our great God of all comfort to carry us through this year. Lord, thank you that even though this is... uh, a narrative out of Pilgrim's Progress and pretty much the, the number one bestseller of all time throughout all history in the English language. Even though it's, it's from Pilgrim's Progress, Lord, thank you that it has a powerful witness. Thank you that it has a, it's a powerful narrative that sticks in our minds and it's a thing that keeps coming back to us when we fall into despair because we've gone off the path.
Lord, I pray that you would help us in 2022 to live by these principles, to see small sins as big things and to avoid them by your grace and to maintain personal discipline in the Christian life. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who are able to give hope to others who are in despair and to see them by your grace come out with that key of promise. And Lord, I pray also that you would help us to be people who continually grow and warn other people so that they don't fall into this trap as well. We pray that you would help us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Thank you.